Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people in direct-to-consumer. I'm your host, Tim. So this is Series 4 of 2021, and I have the pleasure of meeting and chatting with a select group of impact brands to unpack their story, growth, and how they're adapting to the evolving digital and consumer landscape. On this episode, I'm joined by Sarah Arts, Head of Marketing and Communications at Asket. Sarah works to share the brand's philosophy, tell the stories behind every garment, as well as develop thought leadership campaigns that aim to drive better practices in the apparel industry. With a background in both natural sciences and communications, Sarah has long worked to bridge the gap between fundamental topics and engaging the public. Uh, a career spanning 10 years has seen her work at world-class institutions such as the Natural History Museum in London, as well as working internationally to launch brands into new markets. Before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform that's designed to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. Yotpo's single platform integrates advanced solutions for loyalty and referrals, SMS marketing, reviews, and more so brands can strengthen relationships and customers and drive meaningful metrics like AOV, LTV, CVR, and more. That's why 35,000 plus direct consumer brands use Yotpo. Start building profitable relationships with your customers today by signing up for free at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Sarah, how are you and where are you? Good morning, Tim. I am very good. I'm calling you from Stockholm this morning and it's uh, snowy and frosty outside. Oh, and... Is it like pitch black? Is it is it is it get really dark at this time if you're that close? To the, the, it's definitely very long nights, but it's uh, nine a.m. here now, uh, so it's light, uh, but it's very overcast. So there's sort of a, uh, a low light feeling, but it's very, very cozy with lots of candles and, and Christmas lights out. So we we can't complain. Yes, the festive season is upon us. Um, I usually like to start these things with a bit of a rewind. And I'm curious, uh, how does a natural sciences nerd end up in fashion? Good, good question. Um, I, I uh, ponder about that uh, a lot myself sometimes. Um, so I guess the way it, it started is my, my parents um, always encouraged uh, us uh, as kids, I, I'm one of three girls, to do what we love. Um, which I think is fantastic. Uh, the theory being, if you do what you love, what you love, and what you're passionate about, then then you're good at it, and, and ultimately you'll thrive, uh, regardless of, of what that is. Um, so I took the natural sciences um, route at school and at university. I've always been fascinated by the way things work, you know, the way the world works, and and why it works, and and how. But then after graduating. Um, I was told there's sort of really two directions I can go in. One is uh, research or, or one is teaching. Um, and at the time, neither of those really strongly appealed to me. And what I realized I really enjoyed was sort of working at that intersection uh, between understanding, uh, you know, fundamental topics and subjects within the sciences, but translating that in a way um, so that more people can understand it and get excited with it. And that's when I started looking at uh, science communications, communications, PR. Mm-hmm. Um, actually did a, my first internship at the Natural History Museum in, in London, which was fantastic working in their press office. Um, and from there, I, that's how I really got into uh, public relations, communications and, and marketing. Um, I believe it's uh, Steve Jobs said this, um, often when you're moving forward, 
it doesn't always make sense, but when you look back and, and you connect the dots, you can see how uh, your decisions play out and, and support one another. And I think that's very much the case here. And that led to, so you, 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 you had a stint at Dyson, if I'm not correct. That's correct, yes. So after uh, the Natural History Museum, um, I think, it, I'm not sure how commonly this phrase is used uh, internationally, but uh, in the UK, when you start looking for, for graduate jobs, you say you go on the milk round. So uh, I was on the milk round, uh, seeing what was out there, putting, putting my CV and my resume out. And at the time, uh, Dyson, uh, was uh, recruiting heavily, particularly into their, their communications team. So I started working in the internal communications team with them uh, on, a, on a graduate program. Um, and then uh, they put me into a, a leadership role uh, and I actually worked internationally uh, with them for quite some time, which was a phenomenal experience, both in terms of working for such, uh, innovative, such an innovative brand um, and strong brand in terms of brand identity as well as the international experience it was quite remarkable and so I suppose it would be good to understand I suppose at what point you kind of joined Ask It but I'm, I'm more interested also in like what drew you to the Ask It brand yes of course um again I, I think a lot of it does stem from um uh, working at Dyson, Dyson is quite a disruptive brand in that they take um, everyday objects and they sort of apply, uh, you know, radical engineering to it and think how they how they can make it function, uh, perform the same task, but actually with um, an, a new method and, and improving the performance in, in the way. Uh, so I really valued um, working for a, a disruptor. Um, it makes, certainly when you, you work in communications, it makes the job far more exciting. You have a, a much stronger story to tell. Um, I'm sure other people would, would beg to differ if you have maybe a, a product or a service that isn't as exciting. It means you have to get especially creative. Uh, but but I, in my case, I enjoyed working uh, for a, a disruptive, a disruptor, a different thinking brand. Um, but after having had my, my um, sort of my graduate training, so to, to say, uh, at Dyson, I realized that I would really like to continue working for a disruptive brand and for a startup. Mm -hmm. um, and I was based in Singapore at the time and also wanted to move closer to Europe. And then actually a lot of the signposts start pointing to Stockholm. Um, so as you do, I went on LinkedIn uh, and I think it was a, a case of great timing uh, where I was in a position where I was ready to move and, and ask it were hiring. And I've never really considered working in, in fashion or the apparel industry before. Um, but when I saw their approach uh, to challenging sort of the fundamental way that the apparel industry worked uh, and driving better practice um, across the, the value chain, uh, that became really appealing to me. Um, so it's not so much, uh, it was not so much an ambition to work within fashion or apparel that drove me, but rather working for an ambitious startup that was driving different and better practices uh, within an industry. So it sounds like there's a fair amount of serendipity in there, which is always a useful component <laughs> to any of these sorts of things. That I've noticed that um, one of the kind of key pillars of Arthur is the is the pursuit of less. That is correct. Um, 
I suppose I'd love to understand like what's your take on that maybe but and then also like why do you think that's important? Yes of course I mean if we look at certainly within within my lifetime uh, I'm not that old yet but I, I'm 33 uh, so born late 80s and I think you know in the time uh, that I've grown up what we've really um, grown up around is you know but buy more, reinvent yourself. Um, you get satisfaction uh, from 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 consumption, essentially. Um, and I think not only is that not great for the soul, we're now also acutely aware that our modern consumption habits are uh, wrecking uh, the planet. We're consuming resources beyond what the the, the planet can give us, which is quite a, a sad state of, of affairs. When the reality is, we already have it pretty good. Um, and what we're trying to encapsulate with the pursuit of less is actually a, a completely uh, different thinking and, and logic, not only in the way that the industry operates, but also from, from a personal perspective, you know, acknowledging that we have enough, that you can be satisfied and, and we should almost thrive on uh, enjoying better but, but few things um, and that that should almost be the new thing to aspire to uh, rather than this sort of perpetual or insatiable appetite for, for newness I suppose with that ethos then and this is something that I'm exploring with with all of the brands in this this series because it's all about purpose-driven impact-led brands I'm mm. curious as to do you find any internal challenges with that approach so a good example being do you ever need to internally challenge yourselves on the pursuit of less ethos because of the nature of a startup business and wanting to grow and, you know, all the things that come with that? Yeah, of course. Um, and to use, to use a, a phrase that is, is becoming more, more common now, um, but hopefully not losing its meaning is it comes down to systemic change. Um, so as I said, you know, we have been, operating in, in this system, which is driven on excessive consumption and, and putting profits before all else. Um, and because we are trying to operate differently within industry, both in terms of the business model, um, I, I'm, I think it'll be useful for me quickly just to explain that for, for everyone who's listening. Yeah, sure. Um, but, the, you know, most industries, including the apparel industry, it's it's based on uh, particularly fashion, you know, every season there's new clothes, new trends uh, for you to buy into. Uh, not only it started off as seasonal, now uh, with fast fashion it's become weekly, and then you have the ultra fast fashion, you know, the, the onlines who are like, oh, fast fashion, you think you're fast, hold my beer, we're going to show you how, yeah, how yeah. The Sheehan's of the world, yeah, minute by minute changes, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> exactly, you know, fast fashion is child's play compared to, to the Sheehan's of the world. Um, uh, now I'm losing my train of thought. Anyways, yes, so that, that's the business model that we're, we're trying to change. So what we do instead is we have uh, 35, uh, we have a permanent collection. So with menswear, it's now 35 pieces. Uh, we started with a t-shirt six years ago and we launch a handful of garments year on year and it's the same garments. They stay uh, with us year on year. We don't have to chase uh, seasons. Yep. That means if we um don't clear that stock it doesn't matter it stays on our shop shelves the value is maintained 
Um, rather than chasing trends, we focus on quality, production. And, and the idea is, if everyone were to operate in that way, then the industry could be just the same in terms of value, but at a fraction of the production. Um, so it's all, it's all nice in theory, um, but it is a different, it's a, it's a systemically different way of operating. And I do think it takes, um, it, it takes a while to grasp that, that concept, um, especially when an industry is set up to, you know, seasonal trends and particularly the press are always looking for something new yeah, to write yeah. about. Um, whereas we're telling them, no, we still have the same great t-shirt. It's still worthy writing about. So that definitely comes with, with some challenges, but I'd say above anything, uh, it's a very uh, efficient way of, of uh, running. Um, and that makes it a, a good business. Um, and we are five years in now and we've gotten, uh, with very little external funding, we've gotten to a place where we, you know, we're profitable. So we're proving that there is economy to be had in this, in this type of business model, even if it feels like uh, we're, we're turning, trying to sort of turn the tide on a, a longstanding uh, way of operating within the apparel industry. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, the, uh, the pursuit of profit um, in the current, setting is something that seems to be um very difficult for a lot of direct consumer brands so the fact that you guys can do that with a purpose is is pretty cool i think um i do I, too but then i'm biased <laughs> <laughs> look that only these sorts of brands go on the podcast so you, you know you're you're in you're in esteemed company <laughs> the, <appreciate> it. <laughs> yeah the, i know that the founders have kind of um come from a slightly non-fashion well a, a very non-fashion sort of place and perspective and, and background and so it's certainly you know as I was delving into the brand and, and doing some research as an observer it felt like there's uh, a bit of an inherent industry outside of quality to ask at even that concept of the permanent collection you know what I mean like you're saying it bucks the trend and I wonder like is that do you guys think about that is that somehow inside in the internal workings and if so, does that help or has that kind of hindered in any way? Absolutely. It's um, very uh, proactive de decision on our part. And I think, uh, well, I believe if you, uh, I mean, I'm from a you know, biology background originally, our co-founders, our business and, and, and economic students, um, and when you come into an industry that you're not necessarily familiar with, um, you look at it with sort of an unsullied-ness, mm -hmm. uh, unsullied eyes. So you're able to, I think, with people who are, have been in the, the same industry or, or have had, uh, you know, studied and gone into it, they kind of accept um, the way some things work. Whereas if you come into it uh, with a bit of naivety, you, you challenge uh, a little bit. And that's how you can really drive change I believe of course it does also mean you have a really really steep learning curve <laughs> one of my favorite anecdotes from our co-founders is uh, when they were first making the the t-shirts you know they decided we're gonna we're gonna make the best t-shirt that's out there it's gonna be great quality we're gonna offer 15 uh, different fits uh, so that all guys can, can find that perfect t-shirt we do do women's as well now uh, just a shameless little plug there uh, and thirdly you know great pricing pricing that honors the, the garment but also uh, you know, so that the, the consumers uh, see the value and they're not paying an exorbitant uh, markup on it. Um, so they, then they were working with uh, uh, one of our suppliers who we still work with to this day, six years later. And um, 
they contact us and for the patterns, can you send us the patterns? And of course, if you work in the apparel industry, you're a designer, you know that's sort of the, the shapes to, to make the T-shirt with. But they're like, no, we don't want patterns on our T-shirts. Um, oh, as in IP patterns? No, as in, as in like a motif. Um, oh, right. Got it. Got it. Yeah, there you go. So that, that's, um, there's definitely some, some steep learning curves. But on the whole, uh, coming from with a different um, lens, uh, I think has put us in, in really good stead and continues to allow us to challenge the way that things work within the industry. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it, it's so the it, it's been something that's cropped up a few times on the podcast, and um, it feels like I'm always interested in that idea of like how powerful naivete is when you're mm. entering an industry. And I suppose there's probably some sort of equation, right? Like too much, and you might find that those um instances where you, you don't know enough can become quite challenging so you need to kind of balance probably some domain knowledge with the naivety but of it's course. a good thing because it, it challenges you to to you don't think or you don't see the problems that someone who's in it sees and in some ways that's a good thing because you're going to think more creatively or the problems to you are like oh yeah we'll just overcome that you know and therefore you know growth is maybe sometimes easier exactly i mean you know naivety and equality uh just on its own is is never a, a good thing and i think sometimes naivety has negative connotations but if you combine a naivety with determination drive and, and smart yep. thinking that's a, a really interesting inflection point so you mentioned it very briefly before and it was something that i i, I uh, observed as well but you, you you did add a women's collection uh, we did so long ago. yeah and i i'd love to understand so like how that came about and and probably from your perspective like did that how did that change from like a you know a brand communications perspective did it change anything you know how did that kind of play out or how's it played out exactly um in terms of brand communication uh the, the, the narrative and, and the story and, and the pursuit of less, which we've touched on already, um, that hasn't changed. Um, the, the, the pursuit of less is something that applies equally to men, women, uh, young, old, uh, you know, society. Yeah. Um, everyone as, as and a, everything in between. Yeah. Everyone and everything in between. Like, uh, and I think it's more and more people will start relating to that. Um, what's interesting, of course, with, with men and women is the channels in, in which you communicate. Uh, and one thing that we've seen is uh, if, we, if we want to reach our, our female customer, uh, social media in particular is uh, a, a huge um, uh, channel for us. We, we see that's very influential with, with yep. the, the female customer. Of course, men use it as well, um, but they, they're not looking... To it as much for say fashion or wardrobe um, decision making. And are you seeing any other channels start to emerge? I mean, I, I assume that Instagram is probably a go-to channel for you guys, given the kind of demographic and sort of brand, but is like TikTok part of the play at the moment or is it on the horizon? Uh, TikTok is a really interesting one um, and it, it continues to evolve. 
and while a lot of people associate it with uh, sort of funny funny dance videos there are <laughs> <laughs> and there are some very funny dance videos and dog videos i must admit on there but anyway yeah um i mean that was certainly my perception of it for, for a long time um but there, there are great content creators out there um from activists from um you know sustainable uh, fashion influencers and uh, music sustainable here for, for lack of a better word um so it, it's definitely uh, on on the cards for us i don't know if we will create our own channel mm -hmm. um, it requires uh, an insane amount of content creation mm. uh, i think certainly our strength will be finding the right people to to collaborate with yep. um and finding good synergy th that way we're going to get onto that in a little bit more detail in a bit because I do have a question on that. But mm -hmm. I, I know, well, the the entire, I suppose, retail, but certainly, you know, e-commerce, direct consumer uh, industry has gone through uh, another Black Friday, Cyber Monday period. Yeah. Uh, which I think my observation is it's been one of the strangest ones in recent memory. Uh, and I, we can get onto that in a bit. But I know you, you guys take a unique approach to it. So I'd love to know, how you think about Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Absolutely. So we, for, the, for five years running now, we have proactively chosen to shut down on uh, Black Friday um, and started with uh, our online store, obviously, but now we do have one physical space in, in Stockholm as well. Um, and we shut that down for the entire weekend, giving our store team uh, a much-deserved weekend off. Um, and the, the reason we do that, um, some people may think it, it's quite extreme, um, but the reason we do that is for us, Black Friday embodies everything that is flawed uh, about modern consumption habits. Um, it taps into consumer psychology from a pricing perspective. Mm -hmm. um, the reason it exists is because uh, we are reliant currently we are reliant on overproduction uh, and overconsumption um, which is an incredibly inefficient way of working so everything that has been overproduced the prices are slashed our business model because we don't discount uh, and we don't do trends or seasonal collections we're able to give uh, the same good quality stuff at an honest price year round we don't mm -hmm. discount at any point in the year mm -hmm. And also what has started to happen more recently is that a lot of companies are reliant on Black Friday mm -hmm. sales in order to become profitable, uh, which is which is terrifying, actually, if you're a CEO of a company that <laughs> totally you're reliant, right. relying on this one weekend. Exactly. So, so by closing down, we're actually making a really firm statement um, sort of towards the business model. You know, yeah, we, we are yeah. so confident in the way that we operate that we can shut down for a weekend uh, because we have a loyal customer, good garments and honest pricing year round. It doesn't matter which day of the year you come to us. And also just showing uh, consumers as well. You know, we don't have, we, um, it's sort of, we don't have to have that monkey part of our brain triggered when we see the 70% yeah. discount or buy yeah. one, buy one, yeah. get one free. Um, so, so it is a, a powerful statement and we really rally behind it every year as, as a company. Um, and I think now, as I said earlier, you know, we're acutely aware of the environmental impacts that our modern consumption habits are having. So more than ever, I, I think it's a, a really powerful statement to, to make um, that we, we just 
can't entertain um, a, a holiday that celebrates mass consumption, really. And yeah, oh, that's so interesting. I think that the 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 kind of example to the business world that you can make a direct consumer econ brand work without that you know very 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 common <laughs> day of you know uh of sales is is super super interesting i mean I, I think it's interesting from a brand perspective but also from from that from that angle as well and what's my observation is that generally it seems to be changing a bit so this friday more than ever i noticed more and more brands maybe not going and doing what you guys are doing mm. but changing the narrative a bit on it in that it was either they were doing some sort of sale or whatever but then they were offsetting stuff and you know that that was you know they were donating the money i don't know i think go patagonia do it you know they don't donate the 10 million or whatever so do you think that that seems to be changing is that what you're noticing that you guys are not alone in in this kind of stance on black friday you know these days yes exactly and you know i think any any initiative um that generates positivity i mean patagonia 10 million dollars it's it's a phenomenal amount a phenomenal amount that they um raised uh so we don't want to certainly i don't want to knock any of those efforts in uh, in terms of the press coverage that we're seeing in the narrative that is definitely a, a more mindfulness um but if i'm being really cynical um often it is still a little bit of a it is still a guise to sell products on mm. discount yeah and, and that is what we're trying to move away from uh, this reliance on on having to discount because discounting is a symptom of overproduction in the first place yeah 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 and i and i hear that and that that's kind of where i was i'm like trying to scratch the surface with some of the brands mm. that, that i've seen and i'm like okay I, I i i think it's an interesting talking point right and debate because on one hand as a business there is a business need and probably reason for this and then i'm you know i'm really acutely aware of you know the idea and i don't think patagonia sit in this camp but generally like the sort of greenwashing-esque type mm. conversations you know what i mean and, and like where does that bleed start and end and it's it's interesting i think that yeah it's a good thing that there's more consciousness around it but yeah w w a really interesting stand would be for everyone who's in this camp to go we are literally closing down like you guys are doing i think that's a real impact <laughs> yeah statement. you know what i mean that's a real impact statement and yeah i think that the, the, the discounting things super interesting as well like if, if that's part of the business model then yeah you, you kind of how do you escape it i don't know if it's there do you net like and you stop doing it you're probably going to lose a lot of customers right yeah and i mean it's a conversation we've had with with other brands as well and they you know it's off the record they sort of said oh we're almost a bit jealous that you don't have to to discount <laughs> um but it comes back to to what i was saying earlier this it's this 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 trap in the current system we've we've got caught up in and if i know a lot of brands are reliant on it um but it would be it would be an interesting experiment i think one year um just for them to say we you know we, we're not going to discount we we have been this this is the cost of what it it takes to create this garment and and 
Uh, this is our, our you know, margin to, to run the business. Um, it's, it's about leveling a, a system, leveling everything back to being more honest than you know, potentially not necessarily reliant on themselves. And I think while some brands sort of are very honest in offering the discounting, uh, I think it was the British um, consumer uh, report, which uh, that did some research and actually found there are some brands that are raising, and I think it's particularly with electronics, they're raising the prices beforehand to drop them on Black Friday, but actually mm. you can find better deals um, year round. So there, as I said, while I think some brands genuinely are offering that discount because they have some surplus product that they happen to, to need to get rid of, I think there are all sorts of um, covert uh, price tactics, manipulation, price yeah, manipulation yeah. happening <laughs> behind the scenes as well. No doubt. I got no doubt. No doubt. Um, anyway, price manipulation on um, electronic goods is probably a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> I'll tune in later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm seeing more and more re-commerce concepts, both from a tech and a brand perspective. I know you guys have got your revival program. So I'd love to understand a little bit about how it's working. Does it resonate with customers? And have you found it increases like engagement and loyalty? Exactly. So uh, the, we launched a revival program in May this year, uh, and it's effectively our version of a take-back program. So once our customers uh, no longer have a need for our garments uh, in, in their wardrobe, they're able to send it back to us uh, for, for a small um, reward. Yep. Um, of course, first and foremost, we want to make sure that we design clothes that last long. That's the best thing you can do to, to reduce your impact, yep. keep your garments for as long as possible. Um, but yeah, they're kind of like they are trying <laughs> the at some point the clothes are going to go right. Exactly. So you're never ever going to get away from the idea that this thing has got a, a finite nature to it. Um, but yeah, you know, is it that brands need to be a bit more responsible for their overall post-purchase kind of concept and I suppose aftercare? Exactly. Nowadays, as soon as a garment has been sold, it is effectively up to the consumer. They're responsible for what happens to, to that garment. Um, and if you look at the landfill sites that are sort of amassing more and more products mm. we've really reached a point where we can't rely on on the consumer um we need to have sort of a, a better infrastructure yeah. and of course that can come from you know government and landfill but it can also come from from the brand side what we saw uh, was initially when we introduced this our existing customers were very engaged uh, they spent a lot of time uh, on the revival portal, we actually also saw an uptick sort of on our garment care pages, which was really interesting because you can see uh, that once people are, are aware that you sh there is an option for uh, extending a garment's life, they, they start paying more attention to it. What we have found, however, is um, if we don't continually um, talk about it, then customers forget about it. So it's definitely a mindset um, change that needs to happen. And I think it's a responsibility from uh, all apparel brands and industries to, to offer this and continue sort of nudging the, the, uh, your customer in the right direction to think very carefully about how they treat their clothes and what they do with their garments at end of life. Interesting. What, I wonder, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because, I suppose it may be getting back to the, 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 the mass consumerism that we have. Mm. And I appreciate that the, the Ask Get consumer base is going to be quite specific, but 
maybe we're just inundated with stuff <laughs> and things that like, yeah, the, that initial efficacy of the initiative sort of starts to potentially wane because we, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's too long on TikTok or something. <laughs> exactly. Next. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Next. Um, yeah. No, I, I think it's twofold. One is there's definitely this element of disposability. And, mm. um, you know, if it's uh, easier and cheap, but if it's cheaper to buy something new to, than to repair it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as human beings, we like to be yep. a- efficient. Yep. So, so we'll do that. Um, I think secondly, it, it's also um, because there are options such as recycling bins, secondhand stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a consumer, you that's a conscious decision you make and, and you think you're making a good decision. Um, but the reality is, um, and I will have to double check the figures here, but from what I can remember, um, of all the clothes that are sent uh, to recycling bins, yep. only 25% are reused and only 1% are recycled into new garments. So that leaves 75% of clothes, which eventually end up in landfill. Yep. So I think even though consumers think they're making the right decisions, the infrastructure isn't there. So for me, it, it's those two things. I think it's uh, we've come to treat clothes as disposable when actually they, they're, they're not. They are long-lasting, hard-wearing hard garments that take an incredible incredible amount of resources from the planet. And two, as consumers, we think they're a viable end-of-life options, but actually the infrastructure isn't there yet. And it, as I said, it really comes back down, I think, to the brands uh, and industry to, to develop uh, that infrastructure. Definitely. Yeah, it's such an interesting concept, right? I, I've seen and read similar things, and I don't know the stats, but the I didn't quite understand how in some ways ineffective that you know recycle op shop type concept is and all of the that excess gets sent to other countries usually developing countries and then they skim off whatever they can and then the rest just gets burnt so yeah and the consumers that's the reality yeah we don't know that so there's an interesting twofold thing going on there where if the brand which i appreciate that is not exactly easy right to re like cycle and it's not just like recycle i imagine like um reducing the constituent parts and elements Mm -hmm. of a a garment down to its you know base level and then going again (laughs) it's not an easy concept right so uh but if you can do it you solve both that problem of stuff going to landfill and as a business it's a great retention concept right so you've got the like an interesting twofold um which is hopefully beneficial to everyone yeah, there's definitely a lot of opportunity in it. So we touched on it before, um, but I'd love to get a little bit more insight. And I'm curious, like, how does a brand like Askat approach influencer marketing? Um, and do you have any examples of people and sort of the types of creators that you work with? Of course. And uh, it's something we, we really... Uh, often uh, struggle to reconcile ourselves because actually if you look at the combination of fast fashion with social media, it's really become this sort of toxic recipe for an insatiable appetite for newness. Yep. Um, so it's, uh, it's, um, it's an area where we tread really carefully. Uh, as, as much as um, there's issues sort of in, in how fast moving social media is, 
it is also a really powerful platform in reaching a lot of people yeah. and engaging a lot of people. And so we work very selectively to find those personalities who are in line with us uh, in terms of uh, making more, more considered um, purchasing decisions, uh, but also challenging themselves uh, and challenging the, the industry to do differently. Um, a really interesting personality uh, we've been working with for some time now is uh, Jordan Bunker. Jordan. Um, he's based in the UK. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. No, I've, I've not heard of him. Um, and I, I guess when he he started out as he started out as a, a fashion blogger, um, yep. so really in the rise of influencers and, and writing a lot about fashion. And the more sort of he worked in it, the more he also started to see what an industry of excess it was. And and now he's actually. Uh, communicating a lot more about making considered purchasing decisions, holding on to stuff for longer, speaking out against Black Friday. Um, so yes, he has a great aesthetic, but um, he's he's taking his followers sort of on this journey to uh, considered consumption and the pursuit of less. Um, and he's he's a wonderful personality to work with. And there there are a lot of personalities out there uh, who who are going on that journey with us. That's really what we look for. Yeah, interesting. And, and do you find that there's a lot of people that reach out to you or, or, or is it kind of the opposite? You, you, you're doing a lot of outreach to, to sort of like those sorts of creators? I'd say it's, it's 50, 50. Um, a lot of uh, creators come to us because they really value what we're doing. And of course we're, we're constantly monitoring and seeing who, who's catching our eye. Uh, and, and that's the best when you're, when um, you're having these two way uh, conversations. My sense is that, the um, Love Island contestants are not the typical ask influencer. Would I be right in saying that? No, no. Um, they, I think they'd be a great ask it wearer. Um, essentially, you know. I think it'd be an interesting. <laughs> I think it'd be an interesting collaboration. Where, <laughs> yeah. Like one of because yeah, I find that whole that whole thing to me is fascinating, right? And I feel like. That, that, that must be reaching a point of saturation where there's this show that's incredibly popular and ultimately it's a funnel for fame and influencer creating mm -hmm. really the way that's why I look at it, you know? And, yeah. But there must be a point now where the like um, efficacy of that model for the individual, the, the creator must be waning a bit, right? Like it, it feels like the heat has been taken off of it. I assume I, I, I don't I don't really know these these it's probably like loads of money in it loads of you know millions of followers and all that sort of stuff but I wonder yeah as a bit of an anti version of that to like it would be cool to have a to partner with a um a Love Island contestant and they went totally anti -fa fast fashion yeah I, I mean we, we wouldn't rule it out and as I said you know as we're in the we're in the business of of wardrobe essentials so ask it is for everyone and. The idea is our garments are kind of like this Trojan horse. So in choosing Askit, you kind of you know you're automatically automatically doing better. So the garments are absolutely for everyone. Um, but it is, as I said, it, it's it is the people we the content creators we choose to collaborate with are those that will get people just to challenge and, and think carefully about the way that they shop. So if there's a Love Island contestant who really wants to get into um, making more considered. Uh, purchasing decisions, we'd be more than open to having a conversation. <laughs> watch this space. Watch yeah. this space. Um, 
I'm keen to sort of switch gears a little bit. And um, we've talked a lot about the brand and uh, a lot about conscious consumerism and, you know, e-commerce concepts. But um, I'm keen to understand, like, what would you be doing if you weren't head of communications at Ask It? I love this question. It's my favorite dinner party question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have an interesting answer. You know what? I would love to be a TV presenter, but like David Attenborough, you know, like a documentary uh, wildlife presenter. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Well, let, let's explore this. This is, this is interesting. Is, is there a particular sort of area that you would like to be presenting or uh, so is it a sort of more generalist Attenborough type thing, which is kind of about the world and like the different kind of ecosystems and, and species that we sort of like have, or would you take a very, very specific niche route and you'd be the David Attenborough of orangutans? Uh, oh, good question. I mean, it was quite, it would be quite, initially I was thinking quite generalist, you know, I come from a natural science background and I love the idea of combining, you know, exploring uh, nature in different environments and, and reflecting on, on the ecosystems there. But now that you talk about sort of becoming more niched, maybe I should be like the David Attenborough of, of uh, the apparel industry. <laughs> mm, yes, very interesting. Well, I'm yeah. Well, who's to say that you're you're not? Well, I have I haven't been on the silver screen uh, any time, so true, that's quite, true. That's okay, quite well, telling. Well, on the you're, you're, yeah, okay. Well, the, we we can see the path. Um, I'd like to round it out with. Um, where is Sarah in 2025? Uh, well, I'm very dedicated to Ask It. Um, we are still small uh, and ambitious. Um, I started as, uh, I think I started when we were six full time. Uh, we're now going up to 25, um, but there's a, a long, long journey ahead of us. Um, so I can see myself staying with, with the organization, unless, of course, you know, this offer for becoming a, the David Attenborough of the apparel industry pops right. up in the next four years. <laughs> okay, so if, if David comes a knocking, then there, there might be a switch of uh, switch of plan. <laughs> we'll see. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Super, thank you. There you go. Big thank you to Sarah for joining me. You can check them out at askit.com. And look out for the next episode, which is the final one in this series, dropping next week. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Yopo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yopo.com slash your basket is empty. As always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.